Welcome to The Connector, where we connect North Carolina to ideas and North Carolinians to each other. This podcast series is from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. And now to the conversation. Welcome, everyone. I am James Herrick with the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University, and welcome to The Connector. Today, we're continuing our series on education and achieving our state's goal of 2 million North Carolinians with a high-quality credential or post-secondary degree by the year 2030. And in this episode, we're going to be speaking with another member of IEI's Educational Attainment Community Cohort, talk about the work they're doing in their local community to help meet this goal and prepare students for jobs of the future. I'm happy today to welcome Greg Thomas as our guest. Greg is the Vice President of Academic and Student Affairs at Isothermal Community College located in Rutherford County. Also joining us today, again, is our uh, II's Assistant Director, Pat Cronin. So welcome to you both. And so now, let's start the conversation. So Pat, I'm going to start off with you. In our last episode, you spoke about the state's uh, educational attainment goal and uh, what it means for ensuring that North Carolinians are ready for the jobs of the future. So can you talk to us today about the educational attainment cohort and the purpose of this cohort and and how it came to be? Yeah, absolutely, uh, James. And and thank you for for having us on to talk about this issue. Um, Let me start with just a bit of background to help our listeners understand our cohort's purpose. Um, Back in 2019, our state adopted a goal of 2 million North Carolinians with a high quality or credential uh, or degree by by 2030. And that figure was tied to projections about the workforce we would need in 2030. And if we did nothing to change our trajectory back in 2019, uh, the thinking was that we would fall short by at least 400,000 individuals with the skills needed for the jobs we expect to have in 2030. So it was clear that we we couldn't just sit and do nothing to achieve that goal. We really needed to to roll up our sleeves and and get to work. Um, Indeed, right now, for every 100 ninth grade public school students in North Carolina, only 28 earn a degree or credential within six years of graduating high school. And this is just not where we need to be. Um, And the important thing to understand is this is just an average. The number is actually lower for students of color who make up the majority of students now in our earlier grades. So that's our challenge and also our opportunity. If we want thriving businesses, families, and communities, we must not only raise educational attainment rates for everyone, we especially have to do this for, for students of color, for low-income students, uh, and for students who are first-generation, first to go on to higher education in their families. Um, Because education is local in the United States, and we're no exception here in North Carolina, we're going to only reach this goal one student at a time in every community across the state. And that brings us to our cohort. We're fortunate to have so many dedicated people and organizations working on this challenge across our state. Back in 2021, we selected five organizations who we thought were doing really important work um, to come together and and allow us to to walk with them for a two-year period of time. 
And we had two goals in doing this. Uh, the first was to lift up their good work, to help bring attention to what they were doing and to hopefully spark ideas and hopefully action in other communities. Um, oftentimes, you know, on all sorts of issues, there's good work going on in one part of our state that others in, in other parts of the state just don't know about. So that was one of the uh, one of our intentions with bringing this cohort together was to bring attention to what they were doing. The other thing that we wanted to do was to help these organizations improve what they were what they were doing, improve their effectiveness. And there were two components to that. Um, one is providing individual capacity building support for them. And at the core of this, uh, we started with a needs assessment, an organizational needs assessment, coming in, working with their staff to figure out uh, where they were and what, what needs uh, were particularly important to help them uh, become even more effective. And the other component was peer learning. So we bring these five organizations together roughly every six months uh, to talk about what they're doing, what's working, what their challenges are, and to brainstorm together solutions to those challenges. So I'll stop right there. That's what, what our cohort is about. Good deal. Well, Greg, you obviously were a member of II's Educational uh, Attainment Cohort. So why did you and ISIL Thermal decide to join the cohort? Well, I, I mean, the attainment goals that Pat just talked about, uh, they're not just state goals, they're our goals too. And, and it's true for all of the 58 community colleges uh, and the universities in the system. But realistically, to tell you the truth, those goals aren't just about targets to hit or metrics that we can achieve. It's about individual people, right? Each one of those um, people in that data set, they, they represent a real person living in our community. And so when we talk about attainment goals, it's not about getting credentials for the sake of getting credentials. It's about providing the economic and social mobility that a high quality credential provides to somebody. Rutherford County, we isothermal serves Rutherford and Polk counties here in Western North Carolina. And Rutherford County is identified as a tier one economically distressed county. Polk is uh, identified as tier two. And without getting into the details of that, the short version of what that means is that our community members need pathways to economic advancement. And we all know that education is one of the most effective pathways that there is. So when we saw the opportunity to sign up for the IEI Educational Attainment Cohort, what we said is, look, this will give us the chance to look at ourselves and say, are we doing the best we can to serve our community in this path? And if not, how can we make those improvements so that we can be more effective in serving the community? So, uh, Greg, as, as Pat was kind of alluding to and kind of talking about, one of the benefits of being a cohort member was having that organizational need assessment uh, conducted, and, and you did want it at, at uh, ICC. So what did you learn from the assessment, and how are you using it to improve uh, things at ISIL Thermal Community College's work and, and for the community? Right. So uh, as part of the start of the cohort back in the, the first half of 2022, uh, Becky Bowen came out as, as part of this, and she worked through a needs assessment process with us uh, at our school. We put together a big team from all across our campus. We really wanted to look uh, with breadth and depth at what we were doing to determine what our needs were. And to put it bluntly, it showed us that we had quite a few needs. There were a lot of areas we could improve, and, and that's good, uh, because what that has led us to do is take on some pretty major initiatives as part of that analysis. 
So many of the needs that we found focused on one major area, uh, and that was connection with our community. So if we're talking about increasing educational attainment, realistically, probably the most important part of that is having people who want to pursue that education. And in order to build that connection with our community, we needed to better understand what their needs are and why education hadn't yet been the pathway that they had decided to pursue. Uh, to immediately address that need, I mean, almost immediately, less than two months coming out of the analysis that we did, uh, we hired a full-time recruiter. Uh, we decided that realistically, in order to connect with people, we need to have other people. It can't be about having an admissions office where people come in and sign up for classes if they're so inclined. It's got to be about going to people and expressing what education can provide to them. Uh, so we did that almost immediately. Uh, but the second thing that we did almost immediately was start putting together focus groups. We wanted to get out and talk to people about how we could better attract them to education and support them through that educational journey. Um, as we put together these focus groups, we wanted to focus, uh, pun intended, uh, on students who have traditionally been underserved by education in our service area. Students of color, first-generation students, low-income students, and adult learners who are already out in the workforce but who would benefit from going back and getting a high-quality credential. Uh, so we, we moved forward with that focus group project, which took almost the entire two years of the IEI cohort. Um, and then bigger picture, and this has probably been the heaviest lift that we've made early on from some of that early discussion that we had with students and potential students, we've made the decision to move toward eight-week classes instead of 16-week classes. And if you look at when other schools have done this across the country, it can be a long, intense process. But we decided that if we really thought it was important and we really thought that it would make a difference in the lives of our students, we couldn't do it little bit by little bit. We couldn't roll it out. We had to make a shift and do it now because there's people who need that now. Um, so between making that call in fall of 22 uh, to now where we're going to be in fall of 23 coming up in just a few weeks, we've shifted almost 90% of our classes from 16 weeks to eight weeks. Uh, and we did that, and we're calling that, that process uh, the Be Great in Eight process, uh, has been intended to provide students with more ramps to education, more on-ramps specifically, uh, as well as to allow students with outside obligations like family or jobs uh, to more rapidly move toward educational attainment. And then to increase the success rates for all of the students in all courses, but especially in those courses that are identified in education as gateway courses that tend to be stumbling blocks for students along the pathway to educational attainment. Let me jump in here, Greg, and follow up on something that, that you mentioned. Um, you, you said that the uh, ICC is trying to increase the numbers of, of non-traditional students, and, and you went out and, and did some focus groups. I'm, I'm curious, could you say more about what you learned from that, from, from the focus groups themselves, and also from the process of trying to get out and, and talk with, with groups that traditionally don't show up on your campus as often as you'd like? Um, what what'd you learn? Sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I've told this story to as many people as will listen, but we, we learned basically three really important things from this focus group effort. Uh, the first thing we learned is that focus groups are hard. So if, you're, if your goal of a focus group is to engage with people who haven't been engaged with you, there's some natural blocks there. Uh, people don't just engage with you because it's convenient for you for them to do that. 
So we put a lot of work into planning and advertising our first round of focus groups. Uh, we were careful to make sure to plan to do focus groups locally in numbers of areas across our two county region. Um, and to tell you the truth, we had very little to show for it when it was done. We had a large team working on it. We put in a lot of hours uh, and it was about getting people to come to these various locations and answer our questions for our purposes. And the truth is we had less than 50 people participate. There was a lot of hours that went into that and that really wasn't the effect that we were looking for. And to make it worse, when we looked at the group of people who did participate in those focus groups, it showed that we'd largely missed all of the areas, the target groups we were trying to get with those focus groups. So the people we did draw in were our traditional age students. They were our uh, white students. They were our students who already had uh, good income. Uh, and so we, we kind of swung and miss on the first round of focus groups. Uh, but that was good because that forced us to go back to the drawing board and we decided to work smarter and not harder. Um, so one thing that we thought about as we were doing our brainstorming about what had happened uh, was that we have a lake on our campus here at Isothermal Community College. And twice a year, we open that lake to the community for fishing. So we allow people to come in and fish from when the, before the sun comes up to after the sun goes down. And those are the two days of the year that there are the most people on our campus. People are parked along the streets throughout campus. But we said, look, instead of trying to get people to come to us for something they're not interested in, why don't we talk to the people who come to us for something they are interested in? So on one of the days that we had the lake open last spring, we went out there, we bought boxes of pizza and we walked around with pizza and we handed a slice to people who were out there fishing and we asked them the same questions that we had tried to ask people in the focus groups. And it was amazing because it was that interpersonal interaction. It wasn't about getting you to come to an office and sit around the table and answer a question at a microphone. It was, we're coming to you while you're fishing and asking you these questions person to person. And we had over 200 people participate in the surveys on that one day around the lake. And we got a lot of good information out of it. And so I think the second lesson that we learned and probably a really good one is you got to go to people where they are. And we were lucky on that day that they happened to be on our campus, but they weren't here for us. They were here for the fish. Uh, and the truth is that that goes on. And I think one of the most important things we learned about connecting with the community, one of the things that we identified early on, like I told you, as part of that organizational analysis is we got to go to where people are. And that doesn't just mean the lake. It means churches. It means community groups. It means places where people congregate on their own and where they share values with other people. Uh, so our second lesson was that, um, that if we want to get to the community, we have to go to the community. We can't make them come to us. Uh, third though, we learned what we had hoped to learn, which was as we did that survey at the lake and we got the higher number of participants, the other thing that really stood out to us was we reached the groups we were trying to reach. A lot of the people we talked to at that lake were people of color. There were people uh, who have economic disadvantage. They have, there were people who were non-traditional or older adult students. And so we were able to talk to them about why they hadn't pursued education uh, as an avenue to better their economic situation. And what we found out was that there were a lot of common themes in their answers. The two most common themes were things that we probably could have guessed, but we had to hear it from them, which was financial opportunity and the 
conflicts uh, on their time. They've got a lot of things that they have to do outside of their own personal lives, whether it's taking care of their families or it's working at jobs. And those time commitment conflicts really rose to the top along with financial opportunity as the things that prevent people from pursuing higher education. Um, I, I'll tell you a bonus lesson though, because I've got it down to our three lessons that we tell people, but truthfully, there's a bonus lesson that we learned from it. The bonus lesson is we don't do as good a job advertising ourselves. And I say advertising, I mean, talking about what we have to offer as we think we do, because the value of education Everybody knows. And as we asked that survey, people knew the value of education. What they didn't know is what we have to offer. So we were honestly really surprised when financial um, blocks uh, were at the top of the surveys because we have financial opportunities to help people pay for college here. And at Isothermal Community College, if you are a resident of Rutherford or Polk County, we cover tuition, no questions. So the idea that people realize, or sorry, that people have this misperception that finances are the reason they can't go to college means that we're not doing a good job of telling people what we have to offer. Uh, so that was kind of the other thing we learned from it. But that's also a good thing to learn because that's something we can fix. And how are you using what, what you've learned? Well, so we're using what we've learned by changing the way we reach out to people. So one of the things, you know, as we were having those conversations with people, that kind of came up, the, the finances. We said, you know, it's all over our website, it's all over Facebook that we have the opportunity to help people with financial aid. Why, why aren't you aware of that? And, and I'm, I'm being kind of flippant in the way I'm saying that, but in those conversations, that's kind of what you have in the back of your head. It's like, why don't you know? Well, we use a lot of language that is stuff that is educational. It means something to us. If I'm reading it, it doesn't mean anything to me uh, if I'm just in the community or if we're looking at it and I go, well, why haven't you seen our website? Well, as I say, that, that sounds pretty dumb, right? Like, do I expect that people are just reading the isothermal website all the time? Uh, so we're changing the way we message and how we message and where we message. We're going out to the community more. Uh, we're using words that make sense, like free. Uh, and we're talking specifically about the benefits that people can see from education, like what kinds of jobs they can expect to move into, what kind of wages they can expect to see locally in those jobs, and, and actually making it about something that means something to them. Any early harvest impacts of, of those changes? Well, so between that and that outreach, and it's hard to tell a little bit uh, where all of the impact comes from. But between that and our shift to eight weeks, we, which we've also been trying to advertise through those same uh, means. Uh, what I can tell you is that this summer was the first time that we moved things to eight weeks. And this summer, despite having more students enrolled this summer than we did last summer, so that's a promising trend, we had less students drop or withdraw from classes, which means that those success rates that we expected to see, we're seeing. The other thing is we're tracking our numbers toward this fall, and we see a couple of things that we had hoped to see out of this outreach and out of the switch to eight weeks. We're seeing that as of right now, and, and I knock on wood, I don't want to jinx things, but as of right now compared to last year, we're 8% higher on the number of students we expect this fall than we had last fall. We're 9% higher on the number of classes being taken this fall versus last fall. And the average student who's coming in is taking a higher load signing up for this fall than for last fall. And that part is important. And it's not important about funding or numbers. It's important about 
the more student, the more classes you can get a student into, if you can help them be successful, which is what the summer numbers are showing, the quicker they can get to finishing that credential. And they need to finish the credential in order to see the benefits of it. So I'm going to ask you kind of an emotional question. So what gives you hope among all the challenges you have to work through there? You know, I would say what gives us hope, you said it's an emotional question, so I'll give you an emotional answer. It's it's the individual stories of students who are pulled in by this work and who go on to see success. And one of the things that we haven't talked about um, at, at this point today, but that did come out of our focus group work was that connection with workforce-based credentials, especially short-term-based credentials, and the restraints that people have on finances. So another thing that, that we've recently done uh, is we started a, a workforce grant here at Isothermal. And that workforce grant is for short-term workforce credentials that we offer through continuing education. And if you don't know much about continuing education, you may not know, uh, or listeners may not know, that federal financial aid doesn't apply there. So even though a continuing education class may have a fee that's as low as $200, if I don't have $200, I can't take that opportunity. And we have several programs through continuing education where you can get a credential that's going to lead you to a good paying wage in a short amount of time. And if $200 is what's stopping me from pursuing that, that's a real waste. So we put this grant into place and we identified our programs that have short-term workforce potential and lead to good jobs. And I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. And this is why I went off on that track when you asked the question. We recently had a, a truck driving class graduation and we used that workforce grant to help fund people into going into that program. It's a little more expensive. It's more like three or $4,000 versus $200. But we use that grant to help pay for that. And we had a truck driving graduation recently where we had 14 people graduate. So that's 14 people who are gonna go out and I don't know if you've looked at the wages for truck driving here locally in North Carolina, especially in the Western part of the state, but they're good wages. And we had one student who during the graduation, uh, she's a female student, she is an adult student, she's standing on stage and she said she was gonna soak up the graduation because it was the first graduation she'd been a part of. And that, that's changing, that's life changing, right? She, she didn't have her high school graduation, no college graduation, but she's got that truck driving, that CDL now. And we know that she's already got a job lined up and she's going to make really good money. And that's going to change the life of her and her family that she's supporting. And it's those kinds of stories where we were able to connect somebody who had previously not been connected to education successfully, even in high school, and connect them to a life-sustaining wage and to that economic and social mobility that we talked about. That's the kind of stuff that makes me think we got to keep doing this. We've got to keep pushing forward because there's more lives we can change like that. Sure. So one of the things that you, you were kind of talking about uh, is messaging and going to the pe- where the people are. So our listeners, how, how, how do I phrase it? Uh, how do you, how, how would they want to learn more about what you're doing at Isothermal uh, and doing in the community with with the two counties that you serve. So there's a plug for your website, of course. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I was going to say the easiest answer is to go to isothermal.edu. Um, but honestly, I, I would say that there's that. We've got an Isothermal Facebook page and a Twitter page, or I guess now it's an X page, whatever yes. <laughs> that is. Um, 
But what I would say is pick up our, our local newspaper. Our local newspaper is available. Um, it's the Daily Courier. I'm not pushing it. We don't get any cutbacks off of that, but, but it's out there. Read about what's going on in our community because I guarantee you that if you read through the stories, the positive stories from our community, isothermal is connected to almost everyone. New businesses are open, tied to isothermal. People are moving up in the world, tied to isothermal. And go and read about the real life implications, like the student I was talking about, those graduation ceremonies. We recently had our PN graduation. Before that, uh, we had our ADN graduation. Next week is our dental assistant graduation. And there's going to be 20 something people that graduate from that next week that are going to go out and they're going to make a good wage. And, and that's the kind of stuff I would say to read about. So don't read what we put out, read the news, because that shows you what the real effect of a community college is on the area it's in. I like success stories. I really do. So, so Pat, do you have any closing thoughts before we end out the show? Didn't know if you had anything you wanted to kind of touch upon. Well, I'll just uh, answer the earlier question. The thing that gives me hope is working with people like Greg and Isothermal and the other members of the cohort. They're the ones in the trenches doing the work. And uh, it's been a real privilege to be able to spend some time uh, walking alongside them and uh, doing what we can to to help them be even more uh, effective at, at what they're doing. Well, I would like to thank our guest, Greg Thomas. He is the Vice President of Academic and Student Affairs at ISIL Thermal Community College and Pat Cronin, the Institute for Emerging Issues Assistant Director. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm James Herrick with the Institute for Emerging Issues. For more information on today's topic, and as always, please visit emergingissues.org. Until next time, let's all stay connected. This has been a presentation from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. To learn more, please visit us at emergingissues.org.